And I want to talk to you about love this morning because that is very important. Uh, just this last week, I had someone come by the house. They were doing some work for me. Um, so I called them, and they got to talk. And actually, it was a couple weeks ago. And then they got my email address because they were going to email me something. And then the next time I saw them was this week. And they said, uh, so you're a pastor, huh? And I said, how did you know? And uh, my email address is pastormt at packbell.net. So this guy was bright because I've had a lot of people say, what's Pennsylvania Storm got to do with you? Because they, <laughs> PA Storm. But this guy got it. And so I knew he, so I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, well, I don't. Not even, I did. I used to. And then the stumble began to come. And, and, and I said, you don't anymore. And he says, what happened? He says, well, I grew up in church. And as a matter of fact, I grew up in a Baptist church. He says, all my life, my folks are in church, my grandparents are in church. And he says, but something happened along the way that I realized that there was very little love in the church. And he said, it just really began to bother me. And he says, in our church that we were in, there was a lot of uh, hatred. He says, it just wasn't love. And the only thing I could think was hatred towards other races, towards other uh, socioeconomical levels of people, poor people, and, and so there just wasn't a lot of love. And he says, in my mind, growing up in Sunday school, we heard so much about God's love and how we're to love one another, and he says, it just didn't connect to me that this is the same thing. And I said, then I have the church for you. You need to come to Farmersville Free Will Baptist Church, amen. This is a loving church, but it just dawned on me, and it really is true, isn't it, that in the world today, this is such an important thing in the church that we have love one for another. Uh, that is the key to it all. In fact, we're going to see that in just a little bit. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible. One certainly for the Jew was one of the most important passages early on, but Jesus repeated it in the New Testament. And in this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. And so... The, the author is giving the Jews something to think about as they go into the promised land. The Lord speaks to them and says, I want you to keep something in mind when you go into this promised land. I want you to know something. When, when you have come to the place that, that is filled with milk and honey, I want you to understand how important it is for you to continue to fear God and to keep his commands. And he really stresses this idea of honoring God's commands. And then he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's not divided, he is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Not only does he give him this command, he says, you keep these commands, and then he says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And he's really tying into this statement that he opened with by saying, Here, Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And he says, also, when you love this one God, this singular God, you love him united with all of you. Don't let your love be divided between this and that and these things and those things. He says, your love for this one God who is undivided must be an undivided love for me. 
And he says, you love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. And what he is saying is with our whole being. We can come into church, and if we're not careful, we can love God with our hearts, and we sing songs, and we praise God. But what he says is that beyond that, he says, love God not only with your heart, but with everything. We love God with our bodies. We serve him and we please him with what we do with these bodies of ours and how we behave ourselves in the world. And then he goes further. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. There's one thing that young parents need to teach their children more than anything else. It's to love God. And if you teach them to love God, other things will fall into place. If we teach them what it means to really love God and to keep his commandments, we're going to raise up a generation that just loves the Lord and things will fall where they need to be. Kathy and I were talking the other day and we were talking about how things change in society. How many of you remember growing up when it was cute when kids were so well behaved and just respectful? And something happened, I don't know, I guess during the 80s maybe or nine, but it is now cute for kids to be just ornery and disrespectful. And I got to thinking how sad that maybe we need to go back and say, I need to teach my kids above everything else to love God. And these other things will fall into place and maybe we'll have less of the problems we have in society if our children are taught to love God. So he says, teach your children these things also. He says, teach them diligently to them. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Don't just bring our kids to church and let the Sunday school teachers talk to them about God. But as parents, we need to go home and talk to our children about God in our houses. That it needs to become more than just a a Sunday morning thing. This needs to become a Monday through Saturday thing also. And moms and dads need to take the role of being the teacher and talking about God and his great love and the things that he has done for us. And taking every opportunity available is what the author is saying here. Every opportunity available to point back to God. And there are so many opportunities, aren't there? He goes on, he says, teach them diligently when you talk to them, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. In other words, as you go along the way, as you live this life, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And that kind of covers it all, doesn't it? From the rising up to the going down. I mean, you're walking, you're lying down, you're rising up, and in all these times, he says, you're to talk about God. You bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is such an important command that God says you bathe the young people in your homes with these commands to love me with everything they've got. Talk about it every chance you get. Talk about it when you're walking. And in our case, when you get in the car and and you're running errands, talk about the love of God. Point things out and, and and, and never stop doing that either. We were sitting the other day at the house and watching birds, of all things. My mom told me, you know you're getting old, Mike, when you sit and watch birds. She goes, that's what me and Grandpa do when we sit on the porch. I'll never watch another bird again. But we were sitting there, and, and I'll have, you know, Kayla, I know Michaela's not old. She's not even 21 yet. And she was watching the birds with me, so there. But as we were watching these birds, this one bird would come down and he'd sit and kind of check things out. And then he'd swoop across and grab a bug and take back off and sit up there. And this would just go on and on. And he had his routine down. And, and he, the way he would just hover there. And I told Kayla, I said, man, look how God made him able to do these things. So even as our kids get older, find every opportunity 
to talk about God and how great God is. The wonderful things around us, even, even human life, how amazing it is. I was talking to someone the other day about their health, and boy, they've got all sorts of things going on with health and, and blood chemistry and all these things, and even that is amazing how God has created our bodies and made them so perfectly balanced that it just takes one little thing being off in our system, and it just messes the whole thing up, doesn't it? God is a wonderful God, and we should talk about him every chance we get. When we get up in the morning, as we drive along, when we go to bed at night, make it the last things we think of. And sadly, in our culture, some of the last things we think of are some of the things that the newsman decides to tell us on TV. But he says, talk about God all the time. And he uses these phrases in there so that it'll be well with you. So that you'll dwell in the land in peace and safety. And he talks about the idea that if I can get a hold of this, things are going to be good with me. Now that's the Old Testament. That's all the way back in Deuteronomy. And and that was what God wanted for his people. But do you realize when Jesus comes along in the New Testament, he doesn't do away with this. In fact, he quotes this passage of scripture when he is confronted with some challenging him about what the most important of all the law is. And we think of the law generally as those Ten Commandments, don't we? In fact, many people judge how good they are or how bad they are by those Ten Commandments. And they say, hey, I'm a good person because I keep the Ten Commandments. But in reality, the law was much bigger than just those Ten Commandments. You go back there and read through there, and, and they are expanded greatly throughout those books. In fact, so much so, and intentionally so, so that man would understand that we need a Savior. That there is no way we could ever measure up to all of these laws. And so the, the crowd gathers around and they challenge Jesus and they said, What's the most, what is the most important of all the commands? What's the greatest of all the commands? And Jesus answers them in Matthew chapter 22 and he says this. Here's the conversation. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And their intention was for him to pick one out and then they'd say, Aha, but what about this one? Because we really couldn't pick one out and say, This is the most important. Because they're all important. When we're driving down the road, I doubt very seriously if we get pulled over by the highway patrol, if we ask him, look, buddy, what's the most important law out of all of them? He's going to say, they're all important, and I will write you a ticket for any of them that you break. So they say, Lord, what's the most important? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And Jesus answers with such wisdom, he says, everything, all of the law and all of the teaching of the prophets hangs on two commands primarily. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And wouldn't this world be a better place if that's how we lived our lives? Even our church, wouldn't, wouldn't a church, and I'm not saying we're not a good church, but wouldn't we even be a better church if every one of us determined that above everything else, I'm going to love God with everything I've got. That every, I'm going to use my voice to love God, I'm going to use my hearing, I'm going to use my, my, my singing abilities, my musical instrument abilities, Raymond, I'm going to use everything I've got, I'm going to use my intellect to love God, I'm going to use my body physically to love God, I just hooked George up with the key to the lawnmower, that's for you George, but I'm going to physically love God, wouldn't it be great, and what difference would it make in our lives if that's what we said was the most important thing in all of the world, 
is I love God. Sunday school this morning, we talked about some of the things going on in the church at Corinth. And man, they had all kinds of problems in Corinth. That's not the church we want to model ourselves after. We might want to learn from them, but not model ourselves after them. But they had issues and debates and arguments about everything. But wouldn't it have been much more simple if they had just focused on loving God with everything they've got? And by doing so, he says, kind of takes care of all that stuff. I mean, when you think about it, if I really love God with everything I've got, uh, there's not much hassle about going to church. There's not much hassle about reading the Bible. There's not much hassle about praying. Because if I really love God with everything, those things just naturally occur, don't they? you're here and you're married, don't some things just kind of come naturally in your relationship? Hopefully they do. But I mean, if I love my wife, I I naturally spend time talking to her. And if I'm not spending time talking to her, you could say that's a communication problem, but I'd say it's a relationship problem. There's something wrong in the love that I have. Or uh, doing things for her, or remembering certain things, and men, we're bad at it, and the older we get, the tougher it gets. But it's the same way with the Lord. But if I really love God, there's so many things that I don't have to focus on every letter of the law. They just naturally flow because of this great love that I have for God. And then he says there's a second commandment very similar to the first. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. How many problems would that solve in this world? All the things that we worry about people doing to us, we don't do to them because we don't want them to do that to us. We'd simply say, hey, I'm going to treat my neighbor the way I want to be treated. I'm going to deal with people in the business world the way I want to be dealt with in the business world. I'm going to forgive people the way I want to be forgiven. I'm going to be patient with people the way I want them to be patient with me. And when we begin to love others as ourselves, it changes everything in our lives. And I know the tendency in the flesh is sitting there and says, well, what if I treat them good and they don't do it in return? Then let God deal with that. But we need to do what we need to do. And there's never an excuse for not honoring what God said. Love God with everything. These two laws, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. Everything rises and falls on our love for God and our love for others. I want you to look at another passage this morning. I want you to look over in John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. Because he's going to say something very similar and yet different. He's still going to deal with love, and he's going to deal with this love that we have for each other. But it's different. And he even uses a phrase here. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And at first glance, we would look at this and say, what's so new about this commandment? I mean, he said all the way back in Deuteronomy to love God with all our hearts. Jesus said, love God with all our hearts and then added to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love for others has been taught throughout the scripture. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. So let's look at that. John chapter 13, verse 31. He says, when he had gone out, and he's speaking of Judas Iscariot. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
And just to kind of set the stage here, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's enjoyed a meal with them. And Judas Iscariot, it's been said that Judas is going to betray him. And Judas has gone out. And now what's happened is around the table, Jesus has his disciples. Those that are loyal to him. Those that are going to be with him in these last hours. And he sits down with them and he has this talk with them. And he says, let me tell you how things are going to be going forward. These are important words. This is like someone sitting down with his loved ones before he passes away and saying, I've got to share some things with you. These are important things. And for the next few chapters, what Jesus shares with them is what life's going to be like in this new kingdom, in this new covenant, in this new church that he's talking about. And he says, this is very important. I want you to get this. It's just us here right now. And as believers, if you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, you're part of this circle with Christ. You're part of this family. And, and that's what Jesus is having, if you will, is a little family talk around the table. He said, Judas is gone. I need to talk to you. He says, I'm about ready to leave. And you're going to seek me or you're going to look for me. But you're not able to come where I'm going right now. The time will come, but not now. And then he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Again, he says it's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And this is a new command. It's very similar, but it is new. And there's some differences in it. And the first one is this. He says to love one another. Remember, Jesus said earlier in Matthew, when he repeated those great commands, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was telling them, you're to love your neighbor. And if there was ever debate about it, one said, well, who is my neighbor? And of course, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, everyone's your neighbor, basically. But here he doesn't say love your neighbor. He says, you're to love one another. This is the new command. And what he is doing is he is welcoming them into this new community, this new church. And he says, here's how things are going to play out within the church. You're going to love one another. You're going to love one another. And when we give our lives to Christ and we are placed in this body of Christ, something takes place in us that the love of Christ is put into our hearts and then it goes out from us to one another. And we develop a love for one another that is different than you will find anywhere else in this world. And that's the way it should be. And the scripture talks about things like that. In Ephesians 2 and 19, listen to what he says to the Christians there. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he says, you, you have this relationship now with me. You've been placed into the body of Christ, and now you are no longer strangers and aliens. And there's some of that to do with strangers and aliens from Christ, but it's also with one another. Have you ever gone maybe to church for the first time somewhere and you look around and you say, who are these people? And maybe if you realize, you say, these people are strange. They're just different. I don't know anybody here. They're not family. They, I, I'm a little uncomfortable. Anyone else like that when you're around strangers? When you get to know me, sometimes you can't shut me up. But if you put me in an environment with people I don't know, I'm very quiet. I tell people all the time, I'm shy, I'm an introvert, and nobody at church believes me. 
But if you take me and put me into a room with 150 people I don't know, you would believe me. Because I'll find the furthest seat in the corner, and I'll try not to get noticed. I go to Weight Watchers. I don't know why. I'm in great shape. <laughs> but I go to Weight Watchers, and, and, and they want to give you these name tags every week. It says, my name is Mike. I'm fat, you know. And, <laughs> and I get my name tag, and I stuff it in my back pocket, and I go sit down, because I don't want them knowing my name, because they might say something to me. Church can be that way. But what Christ says is when we come to Him, He says, I want you to know something. There's a new commandment. You're to love one another. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. He says you are now fellow citizens. You're together in this thing. You are saints and you're members of the household of God. Remember that song we used to sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. The second verse always started, you will know this, we say brother and sister around here. That's because we're a family and these friends are so dear. And I'm sure that those without the church come in and they hear us say, oh, Brother Kevin or Brother Seth or Sister That, and they think, what kind of group is this? What's with this brother and sister stuff? And this is exactly why, he says, because we've become a part of this household of God. We're to love one another. 1 Corinthians 12 says this in verse 25 and 26. He says that there should be no schism or no division. And that word schism is more than just division. That is a, that is a surgical term. It's talking about the, the, the division that would be made by a scalpel. Not even the neatest of cuts. Not even the smallest of divisions. He said there should be no division in the body. But that members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it. That's the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. Because this new commandment says we're to love one another, and this kind of love is such that we have this care for one another. That when one suffers, we all suffer. And how does that play out? It plays out this way. When one of us has a need, our hearts are all broken. And we provide food or resources if necessary. When one of us gets a diagnosis from a doctor of cancer or heart disease, we all suffer and our hearts are all broken and we all pray and we all support those people because we are a family and there's this love for one another. When one of us stumbles and falls and finds ourselves once again in sin, our hearts are broken because that's part of our family that has now stumbled and fallen and is hurting and is destroying their life and and it breaks our heart rather than makes us angry. He says, a new command I give you that you love one another. And then he goes on and he says, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And I've often thought that that's the toughest of the two things here. It's easy to feel bad for someone when they're hurting. Sometimes the tougher thing is to rejoice with them when good things have happened to them. Because of our own jealousy. And our feelings sometimes of, well, why did they get this and I didn't? But he says, we're to love one another in such a way that we care for one another this deeply. And so this is new. It's no longer focused on the outsider. It's no longer just focused on all the neighbors around us. Although we're to love everyone, the Bible says, he says, in this community, in this body, he says, this is how things are going to work. We're going to love one another. And listen, if there's no love in our hearts, something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
He goes a bit further in this. He says, you're to love one another. And this also makes it different. He says, as I have loved you. Remember what he said in the Matthew passage in Deuteronomy. In Matthew, he said, you're to love your neighbor, how? As yourself. Now he comes along and he says, you're to love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. That just takes it up a notch or two, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you know, I'm supposed to love you like God loves us, not like I love myself. Because the truth is, sometimes we don't even love ourselves in this society that we live in, do we? We don't take good care of ourselves, and we don't, you know, look after ourselves like we're supposed to. And so for me to love you as I love myself sometimes isn't that big a jump. But all of a sudden, Christ comes along and says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You're to love one another, and you're to love one another as I have loved you. And that steps it up big time, doesn't it? Here's what the Scripture says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So all of a sudden, I'm supposed to love the people in the church the way that Christ did, and Christ loved us so much that He gave His life for us. Is that the kind of love we have for one another? And we could even just use the first phrase of that, for God so loved the world that He gave. The kind of love that we have in this body is the kind of love that gives. It's a generous kind of love. It gives when those have needs. It gives when, when, when someone just, for, the, for no reason at all, we just give. We've got folks that live that, don't they? I don't know why, but strawberry pie just came to mind. <laughs> Words of love. John 15 and 13. That's not a hint, Fern. So. I wouldn't turn it down, but it's not a hint. John 15 and 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the way we're to love one another. That we would lay our lives down for one another. And there's so much in the scripture about how we act in the body of Christ, but we're to look out for each other's reputations. We're not to let people speak evil of one another. We're to watch out for one another when someone stumbles. We're to go to them and try to restore them. This idea of loving one another, it means sometimes I'm putting my all out there for those around me. And then in Ephesians, he talked about loving one another this way in regards to husbands loving their wives. He says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So it's not just within the church. This new commandment also, I believe, extends into the marriage that I'm to love my wife the way Christ loved me. He said, you're to love one another as Christ loved the church. And then he gives a third thing that is different than this. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. And when you go all the way back to the Old Testament, all along there's been different ways of us determining who God's people were. There were signs and there were outward body things that they did and there were ceremonies that they practiced and traditions and, and these were all signs that these are God's people. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You're going to love one another. 
And you're going to love each other the way I have loved you. And from now on, he says, this is going to be the sign. This is going to be the way that people know that you're really my disciples in the way that you love one another. So as I sat there talking to this guy the other day, and he said, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life. But all of a sudden, I looked around me, and I saw people talking bad about people because of the color of their skin, or because of the type of car they drove, or because they their education or lack of education, he says, it just devastated me. I really didn't see Christ in any of that. And again, I know that people that are away from church will come up with all sorts of reasons why they're not in church, but he seemed pretty sincere to me. And it didn't seem beyond the scope of what could have been. And the Lord just said, you know, we need to focus on really following these commandments. Loving God loving our neighbors, and then understanding that as part of the church, we're to love one another as Christ loved us. When you think about it, how does Christ love us? Three things come to mind. One passage says, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the ways that we love one another is we love one another even when we're imperfect. How many of us could say, I'm not perfect? I make mistakes. I say stupid things every once in a while. I do some dumb things in this life. And isn't it good to be a part of a body that says, yeah, you say some dumb things once in a while, but I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Nothing's going to change that. Christ loved us. And then Christ loved us in such a way that he gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. And isn't it great to be a part of a body where folks are generous with their time, with their talents, their abilities, their treasure, with everything. To realize that everything I have is a gift from God. That it really belongs to him and he has allowed me to steward that or manage that. And therefore, I can't be greedy with what God has given me. And then in Romans 8, he tells us, what shall separate us from the love of God? He begins to list a whole long, lengthy list of things. And he sums it up by saying, none of these things separate us from the love of God. In that list are things like famine, nakedness, peril, the sword. He says, none of those things. And the way that Christ loves us is he loves us through even the toughest of times. And that's the way we're to love one another, through the toughest stand. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your great love that you have for us. 